the nachos. No rain, nor wind, nor snow classico. Putting the high line with Rabbi and Red. Talking the rabbits and turning heads. With questions from you and analysis. In your car, in your home. Thank you for tuning to Holding the High Line. Hello, Rapids fans. This is Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. We are sponsored by Icarus FC and Roughneck Scarves. My name is Matt Pollard, and it is Thirsty Thursday, May 26th, 2022. Lindsay Horan is a European champion playing 90 minutes with Olympique Lyon in a 3-1 victory over Barcelona in the UEFA Women's Champions League final. No current or former Rapids player will be in the USMNT June camp outside of Kellen Acosta. And mark your calendars for June 16th, as that will be the date that we find out whether or not the 2026 World Cup will be coming to Denver, Colorado. I'm joined now by a man who doesn't need stadium crew to salt his fries because he brings his own kosher salt wherever he goes, Rabbi Mark Goodman. Hey, Matt. How's it going, buddy? <sighs> I'm good. I'm I'm so done with this week, Mark. I'm ready for it to be over. I'm ready for a holiday weekend to bring on, uh, I'll say, three big soccer matches for me because we've got Champions League on Saturday afternoon, obviously uh, the Gary Smith Derby on Saturday night, uh, and then on Sunday morning we have um, the promotion playoff, and then mixing in that with probably some hiking and maybe, maybe not going to closing day at Breck, um, I... You know, Mark, right now I'm feeling the energy of the the Daniel Craig ladies and gentlemen this weekend. Um, And I'm so glad that tomorrow's Friday. The weekend, Matt. I'm with you. It's been an awful week in America. It's been I I came off of a really hard week at work last week. And then I picked up a cold from my daughter to start the week. And then we had Tuesday's news and then Wednesday and Thursday's doom scrolling and um it's just been a really it's just been a, and then me and me and you off pod pre-pod were complaining about various things that were not related um for me job related for you you know kind of life related and just it's there, when you're in the suck the suck is the worst i'll take matt this opportunity because sometimes you ask me to be pastor to the masses on this podcast so i'll take um the opportunity now to say what we are not obligated to do as a sports podcast that covers this tiny niche team in maybe America's seventh or ninth most favorite sport, which is Major League Soccer, um, and talk about current events. Um, but we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the murder of 19 innocent children and two teachers in Uvalde, Texas. Um, and the depravity and the moral bottoming out of our country at the phase that we're at right now, where like our political systems are so broken that we can't actually come up with any even basic ways of addressing this problem. Um, we get thoughts and prayers from leadership and the, I don't know about you, Matt, but the most compelling thing I saw in any given speech was um, Steve Kerr's post-game wrap-up with Golden State or pre-game wrap-up Golden State. And he said, I'm not going to talk about sports. And he made an impassioned five-minute speech to America about how broken we are and how unacceptable this is and how we have to make change. And um, it's it's just, it's just absolutely horrendous. Um, my only advice to all of you is... Say something and do something, um, you know, contact your representatives if you can. But additionally, remember to look up from the doom scrolling and the news because it is not healthy to get sucked into a vortex where um, you are mostly terrified about your own future, terrified about your children's future, terrified about the future of America, looking at all the worst things and all the worst thoughts and all the worst images online constantly um, it's not healthy. So this is one of those moments where we need things like soccer and soccer podcasts to lighten the load, right? It's a dark, dark, uh, 
week in America, it's a dark, dark time. And if we get sucked into the vortex and forget that there's really great things out there in the world, then we won't be able to put one foot forward in front of the other. But one of the things we should do when we put one foot in front of the other is cry out to make change, to make sure that these kinds of things don't happen. Um, this will not be uh, a podcast which proclaims that either you, a um, environmental engineer, or I, a uh, conservative Jewish rabbi, have really well thought out policy answers to this question, but there are really smart people who have studied this problem and have common sense answers, and we should listen to them and elect them and make sure that their ideas happen because doing nothing is not an option. Agree with everything that you just said, Rabbi. Um, listeners, we try to be careful on this podcast about talking politics. I think some of our past comments that we made make it, I think, relatively easy for someone to determine which side of the aisle Mark and I are on and certainly which presidential candidate Mark and I did not vote for in 2020 <laughs> or our 2016. Um, I think the points that have been made, I, I think the the thing that's been poignant for me, Mark, that I think is maybe more evident or more prevalent now, and maybe it's because of the um, there was a Sky News reporter who confronted Ted Cruz and then Beto O'Rourke had a bit of a viral moment setting in on a um, Governor Mark Abbott um, I don't know. It, it, it was an event and he was at a podium and speaking and there were a bunch of other people on stage and I should say including Texas Senator Ted Cruz and kind of pointing out that, you know, the issue of the oh, now you're want to talk about policy that's playing politics and somehow, um, you know, trampling or, you know, not giving space for the tragedy and everything. But the points that have been kind of made on this is the time to enact the time to prevent the next Uvalda, the time to invent the prevent the next uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, Columbine, et cetera, you know, is now. And so, um, you know, I'd say vote your conscience. Uh, we have a, um, you know, a, a, an, in, an interim or midterm election coming up uh, later this year. Um, there are local elections that are taking place as well. Um, call your senators, call your representatives in the meantime, Colorado or otherwise, and um, vote that. Last thing I'll say on this, Mark, uh, the Austin FC supporters group Los Verdes is currently doing a fundraiser. I will include a, that. I will include a link to that in the show notes. On a really, really bad and not heartfelt transition at all, Mark. Um, bad transitions are, are just as good as good transitions because the subject changes either way, Matt. <laughs> Last week, folks, the uh, MLS player salaries came out for the first half of the 2022 season. This is basically a national holiday. If holding the High Line ever does an advent calendar, this date will be, this date, and then the one that we get in the fall will be on that list. So, Mark, I'll briefly go over some numbers. Uh, listeners, there. Um, this is an audio podcast and doesn't really work for saying a bunch of numbers for you. Um, I'll include a link to the player salary guides that you have on this. And I will shout out Jason Maxwell's uh, viewfromthecouch.blogspot.com. Had a really good kind of breakdown of it visually showing the salaries and then some of the highlights. Uh, Jossie Zardes is the highest paid player on the Colorado Rapids. He has a guaranteed compensation of $1.55 million. And that is up from 1.4 million from last year. Austin Trusty with a pretty substantial increase. He is up to um, just under 900,000 K. Jack Price on a new contract. He's at 725,000 dollars. Mark, I would have been okay with Jack Price's new deal getting him what Kellen Acosta was making last year at 1.1. Um, you can see Brian Acosta got a little bit of an increase, but with various roster rules and mechanisms, the the Rapids are able to get his um, salary under the max budget charge for someone not becoming a DP. Mark Anthony K at 700K, and then a few of the um, older players, um, Stephen Betasher, Nicholas Mosquito, Drew Moore, I think took reasonable pay cuts that are reflective of the value that they bring to the team, and then just the potential production that they have. I should say, Mark, probably the two uh, big things that we were looking for in terms of pay bumps we were looking at were Austin Trusty, who went from last year making 375k to again just over the um, just under the $900,000 <clears> guaranteed compensation, and then Cole Bassett's salary has tripled up from the 150k he was getting. I believe that was on the end of his homegrown deal, all the way up to 450k. It should be pointed out, folks, that those salaries are kind of reflected of where they are right now. So that's technically what. 
the rapids are picking up as a portion, the majority or all of what he's getting. So that's more arson. That's trustees paid pump is a reflection of transferring to Arsenal rather than the rapids getting him a new deal. Bassett's pay bump is a reflection of them signing him to a new deal and then loaning him to Europe. So, uh, Bassett's on Europa League money and then Austin Trustee potentially on um, Europa League and Arsenal uh, money as well. Uh, Mark, your thoughts on MLS player salaries? Any big takeaways that we may take from Rapid's standpoint? What does what do all of these maths and numbers mean? For me, this was the least consequential numbers drop ever. And I wrote a whole article last year about how not consequential last year's numbers drop was, which was we had a lot of players who were already locked up on multi-year deals so we knew they were getting incremental like 10 and 20 percent pay bumps over the previous year um we we kind of knew where jossie zardes was right because he was part of that uh incremental pay pay bump long-term contract kind of thing and we were already informed he was on a dp contract so we knew it was over 640 um, and we knew that, again, and this is the most important thing for Rapids fans, everything over 640 doesn't matter. And I think the biggest challenge with the Colorado Rapids is the money is all we're all we're always going to be one of the lower end teams. Um, and so we always have actually extra money in that pot. So the only time we ever kind of notice things, I think Brian Acosta was the one number that jumped out at me because it was just high. It was like. He hasn't played every game. He hasn't been notable or very good to my mind, although I may not be fairly evaluating him because it is really hard to, um, I, I think, Matt, and you can correct me on this or, or disagree. It, it's one thing to evaluate defensive midfielders who are in a 4-2-3-1 where, like, our classic guys, right? Sam Cronin and Michael Azira. We're just watching to see how they clear dudes out, right? Acosta's playing in a midfield in a 3-4-3, and so that means that sometimes he's kind of a shield, sometimes his responsibility is to play the ball wide, sometimes he kind of floats in the middle and cuts lanes and occupies space, and he doesn't really have to be that involved. So, like, it's hard for me to figure out whether Brian Acosta is doing his job very well and we're just not seeing him very involved because that's kind of the role he's supposed to play, or whether we don't see him very much because he's not doing a very good job, if you know what I mean. Um, you know, like like another one that would be a parallel is is Max is pretty well paid, although, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but not like incredibly well paid. Um, and go ahead, Matt. He is on just under 300K a year. Um, guaranteed compensation at two at 212. Um, uh, young money, good and young money. Right. It's not a lot, but on the flip side, like it doesn't feel like we're getting value for that 300 yet. And it's it's a low contract that we might ultimately say in a year like, eh, I feel like, you know, that one wasn't the best spending of our money. You know, it's it's like looking back at uh, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, I forget. Oh, uh, Louis Sol- Solignac who was a very expensive player when it came out with his salary and the fact that there was a transfer fee paid, allegedly. Um, And it wasn't that those numbers were very high. It's that Solignac wasn't wasn't a particularly productive player. So he was on a modest to reasonable salary, but he didn't even reach the modest goals that his salary would imply that he was supposed to. So that's, and that's, I think the only big takeaway is that there's a couple players on here where we're not paying a whole lot for them, but we're still kind of in the phase of like, eh, maybe he's not worth it. Maybe, maybe a guy we could have got for like, for instance, um, Anthony, um, uh, Marinick, Mark Kanich. Mark Hanich, why am I, my my brain's a little fuzzy, folks, because I've had a cold for four days, but um, at least I'm not on the Sudafed, which really just whacks you out. Like, Sudafed's great because you don't sniffle for like three whole hours, but you also wander around in a parking lot and don't remember where you parked, and then you remember that you walked to work, right? That's Sudafed, okay? Um, by the way, that that might make for a good title for this, this episode, Matt. That's Sudafed! Exclamation mark. Um... But Markanik, uh, you know, is going to be on like a bargain basement salary contract. And if he ultimately gets into the mix just as much as Brian Acosta, we're all going to look back and say, well, that's $120,000 we could have spent better. 
Uh, just a few other highlights that I want to put, Mark. Uh, Mark. Mark, correct me if I'm wrong. I'll say that this is the third, possibly the fourth year in a row that the Rapids do not have a bad contract on the books that they can't get out of by the offseason. Maybe the one big, just because of the sticker shock of it, would be Jossie's artist. But again, let's say he doesn't score any big goals or anything. He's out of contract. They can let him go. And then obviously, if he doesn't perform up to the level compensatory with his compensation, then the transfer fee potentially is limited down to, you know, the base of that 300k that you gave up to Columbus Crew. So um, Pork Smith continues to be very, very measured and very prudent and does not sign big contracts that are going to hamper the club in the future financially or on the field in ways in which, I mean, Mark, you and I remember being in conference calls where it was two, three years out from Skelshingashi and Tim Howard being on the books and everything was all, oh, going into 2020, finally right. we're going to have those two DPs off the books and then we're going to be able to spend everything. The Rapids don't have that situation. They didn't in 2020, they didn't in 2021, and now they don't again in 2022. And they continue to get really good value for the players that they have. Mark, William Yarbrough, um, you know, in, from a fantasy standpoint, is the most expensive goalkeeper in MLS fantasy. That's just purely based on his production relative to yeah. other goalkeepers in terms of points. A lot of that saves. A lot of that obviously has been clean sheets. He's making 375k this year. Danny Wilson who initially was a tamable player, was at or ne- above, slightly above the threshold from a max budget player when he initially came in under Anthony Hudson, took a huge pay cut last year, maybe two years ago when he signed that new deal um, and was down under 300K. He's now at 355K. Mark, I think if he was at this number his entire time at the Rapids, maybe the level of criticism um, and pressure that would have been on him <clears throat> externally from the fan base, from people like me, who was extremely critical his first year, would have been different. Yeah. I I think now we're finally balanced out where he's at a number that is just good for the level of production, the player that he is and what he is going to be in the future. And then Diego Rubio, um, you know, just, uh, just, you know, have me retweet every single thing that Warners has said this week about him. He's at, you know, 630 K and by a number of markers is vastly outperforming so many designated players, strikers on XG and everything. The Rapids continue to have good players on reasonable contracts. They're getting compensated accordingly and is still leaving the team to be flexible. So if they need to go out and get a big player or anything, they have the opportunity to do that. This does not inhibit them to get the next Mark Anthony K, the next Kellen Acosta, um, um, the or you know certainly if when it comes to paying for um, and reacquiring full permanently uh, Lucas Estevez in the summer, the Rapids have the ability to do that because they don't make dumb contracts in ways that a lot of other teams that spend a lot more money and have more exciting game chambers and everything. Mark flush money down the drain. Um, and Mark, I actually had prepped to mention Kevin Cabral, but he scored against LAFC and El Trafico last night, so maybe that's different. Anything else we want to talk player salaries, Mark, or shall we get on with it? I just wanted to add one more little number to this, which is it's it's interesting and it's a it's a slight disagreement to you, but not a strong one because um, it's it's because I fundamentally agree that William Yarbrough has been a really really solid player back there, and there are a lot of intangibles to being a goalkeeper, like setting the defense, like um, uh, uh, distributing the ball effectively and efficiently and accurately, but. Um, the, the statistic that's been most accurate and useful for goalkeepers is goals minus expected goals, which means if you take all the shots that a goalkeeper faces, you know, um, if they let in all the goals that your average goalkeeper would let in, it's a zero. If they let in 10 more goals than would be expected, it would be plus 10. If they let in 10 fewer goals less, it would be minus 10. Um, the Rapids uh, goalkeeper... William Yarborough is roughly average. He's a 0.41. If you look at the other MLS starting goalkeepers out there, um, the leader is Dane St. Clair from Minnesota. Um, Steve Clark uh, from Houston is number two. And Drake Callender, who only has 500 minutes, he's the part-time goalkeeper for Inter-Miami FC, is three. Sean Johnson for NYC FC is is four. But, um, you you know, Yarborough hasn't statistically proven by this metric to be an above average goalkeeper for the league, but that's just one number, right? And there are other numbers or other things that the, the trained eye can tell you about a goalkeeper. 
um, that is instructive and, and, and valuable. So he's definitely, by the way, he's also still in the upper third because there's a whole bunch of uh, goalkeepers on here who have like 500 or fewer minutes. So they kind of skew the numbers, right? Like John McCarthy is statistically better than him, but he's also only played like, you know, 101 minutes. So who knows whether that counts. Moving on. Listeners, last week on Wednesday, the Colorado Rapids went to Children's Mercy Park, and oh my god, did things get off the rails in blue hell on that night. Uh, Four changes for Sporting Kansas City from the weekend result that saw them give up a touchdown to the Portland Timbers. That was a season high for Peter Vermees across all competitions. Four changes in the starting 11. Jack Price back into the starting 11 for the Colorado Rapids, Mark, and it looked... um, 3-4-2-ish empty bucket. Uh, Enough about formations. 24th minute, Daniel Shallowy off of a really quickly taken free kick. Danny Wilson was out of position, I believe, after he committed the foul. And then Shallowy just goes straight at Lawson Bubukar, cuts inside, beats Yarbrough at the near post. Five minutes later, the Colorado Rapids answer. Austin Trusty getting forward and whipping in a low cross. Melia and a Sporting Kansas City defender don't really deal with it. Uh, Jossie's artist not in a position to shoot. Passes back to uh, Lucas Estevez, who then passes it into the net. 1-1. Estevez's second goal for the Rapids. First of the campaign, if I remember. 50th minute, Daniel Shallowy, um, a cross from Courtney Ford, former Colorado Rapid, who got the start on the night, crosses it um, across the goal into the final third. Lawless tries to play it. Unfortunately, he deflects it directly to Daniel Shallowy, stretches in a way that then takes him out of the play. Shallowy runs in, scores to make it 2-1. Rubio has chances. Jonathan Lewis has chances. Uh, The official loses control of the game. Mark, uh, we've seen what these two teams are like, particularly at Children's Mercy Park when things boil over from a physicality standpoint. Game kind of gets lost. The Rapids kind of lose their head, deservedly so, because we get to um, the 90th minute plus one where I think two relatively soft yellow cards, I would have been okay with any either one of them. I don't know that I would have... Um, I think it was harsh to give both of them ultimately. Austin Trusty gets sent off for a second yellow um, and a tactical foul. Rapids are down, 210 men, and then Daniel Shallowy just with a leg, sweeping the leg, Cobra Kai style, taking out Nicholas Mosquita after the whistle had been called before he's trying to take a free click and free kick and not even a like a threatening one just trying to pass it along to one of the center backs he gets cleared out Estevez comes in barrels into shallowy he gets a red card even though he's on a yellow Rayu Fontas gets into it with Diego Rubio he ends up choking him goes to the ground I think I saw a stomp but I don't know which in any case Fontas gets a red card Estevez gets a red card the official goes to the monitor gives Daniel Shallowy a red card and the Rapids end up losing 2-1. Uh, Mark, this game was chaos and not befitting of a nice structured good thing, bad thing, big thing. Where do you, where the hell do you want to start with this mess in Blue Hell? Well, and also it was long enough ago and we have enough to cover that we should probably be be brief. But um, not to give uh, stage direction from the middle of the, the play. But um, yeah, it, you know, this is this is a team that's not that good. And we made them look good because... Partially because we were on the road and um, the Rapids are kind of, you know, really struggling on the road. And that's becoming a, a frustrating thing to watch. Um, I mean, at this point, uh, it would be uh, just logical for you or I to just state, you know, we're going to win at home. We're going to lose on the road and we're going to go 17 and 17 for the year. But like roughly. But um, yeah, I felt like... Um, for me, there was a moment in the game where I went, really? We're doing this again? Really? Where the middle of the field, we didn't seem to be able to move the ball efficiently through. The passes were a little bit wonky. Um, and rather than rather than try and go through the middle of the field or try and put guys on the dribble, we just hit that long diagonal over and over and over again. And I was just like, you know, it just felt like we weren't trying new things that it was still stuck where we've we've been for a while and it felt safe and it felt kind of uh boring and whatever when it came to the yellow card red card aru at the end like the the total chaos um you know a lot of people will get on the refs for like not managing this game better from the beginning um i thought it was fine i mean i think the refing was fine up till this point i it was there it, it was like all games matt's making a face it was like all games in that there were those moments where you're like oh that foul should have been a yellow or 
oh, that yellow should have been just a foul. But there weren't any plays, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, there weren't any plays where a guy got away with some, like, bloody murder and we were all screaming our heads off. Or there weren't a lot of plays where a guy flopped to the ground and we got called for a penalty or anything like that. No, but I I would say there was, there were things that were not called a foul that should have been a a yellow card and there were yellow cards given out that I thought would have been harsh as just a foul. So the, the error bars of where the ref was right the way up through stoppage time was within the standard deviation of the mean for an MLS ref, and then he just completely lost it. Yeah, I, f- I feel like being consistent is important, which is like, you know, it's like calling balls and strikes in, in, as, a, as an ump, which is like certain umpires in the days before the video review-y thingy, um, more so, uh, were known for having a slightly wider or slightly tighter strike zone. Or, on a given night, they were going to make it a little bit wider, and the batters would go up and say, like, oh, he's going to give that? All right. So, like, you know that, right? You know you're going to get away with a little bit more. To your point, though, when you let that happen, um, then guys are going to take an inch, and they're going to take an inch, and they're going to take an inch, and then you get violence and red cards at the end, and guys may try and even give a stomp or go cleats in because they might get away with it. So I don't know. I, I, I wasn't, um, I wasn't that disgusted with the refing in this game. I wasn't that unhappy with it, but I definitely felt like this, um, this just wasn't the Rapids playing their best soccer. I think if you look at just the, the greater, the general narrative of the game, Mark, and the, the face value numbers of possession, shot opportunities, passes in the final third. The Rapids were the better team. But this game was just so much like games that we've seen between the Rapids and Sporting Kansas City, where underlying-wise, the Rapids appear to dominate or have control of the game for the most part. But when it comes down to those key moments, Sporting Kansas City is by far the better team. We saw it in um, the nil-nil draw last year, where Tim Melia basically single-handedly kept a clean sheet. And I think the Rapids had 3.2 xG on expected goals on that game, if I remember correctly. And so, you know, Melia makes a couple good saves. Rubio kind of flubs an opportunity on a direct free kick. Um, Lewis, who we'll get to in a minute in a good way, you know, doesn't really take his chances. And then Sporting Kansas City has two good chances, both of which were preventable, and Daniel Shallowy ends up converting those. And so I think that's frustrating because Laws of Bubakar did not particularly have a good night. I think if the Rapids were a little bit more alert, they have numbers back, and Shallowy isn't able to just go on in and score on goal. And, you know, maybe a bit of an unfortunate bounce for Lawless on the second goal, but he certainly had a really tough night. And then I think on the whole, I think the Rapids lost their emotions. You know, I asked really tactfully Jack Price and Robin Frazier about the game, uh, about it post-game, of saying that, you know, it's it's a good thing to stand up for your teammate, but there's a way to go about doing that and could uh, an older veteran have helped de-escalate that or stand up for it in a way that, where there weren't red cards taking place or anything. And Robin had some, not scathing, but I think constructive comments about Lucas and saying that standing up for your teammates is good, but you also have to be a team player and understand the bigger moment. And there's a point at which standing up for your teammate in a way that might seem admirable puts you in a position to get sent off. And I don't think there's a single scenario outside of maybe preventing a goal and then giving up a dog so, and then just hoping Yarbrough makes a PK save. There's very, very few scenarios where me getting sent off versus the automatic alternative where getting the red card is the better option. And in both of those instances, Trusty didn't need to step in to put the referee in a position to make an unfortunate decision. And Estevez could have stood up for Mesquita in that moment in ways that didn't have him get a red card that would have then had the Rapids a possibility, at least one more lumped cross into the box to try and get a draw and obviously wouldn't have set them behind the eight ball for that past Sunday. And so I think we, we've seen where the Rapids kind of lead into the heel or the Rapids, you know, Rapids Fight Club um, aspect of their personality in ways that hurt them in the moment and then also hurt them long term. Um, and hopefully that's a learning moment for when things get really concacafy late in the year, later this season, or certainly if there's a situation like that come the playoffs. But that was really disappointing for me and just 
the big thing for me is just what I went back and said that this was so typical Rapids versus Kansas City where there's many aspects in which the Rapids control the game and it comes down to five or ten moments and Sporting Kansas City wins 75% of those in a way to get the result and the Rapids could have been better in those moments which has been an unfortunate narrative we've seen around the team for the last year and a half as it relates to what their ceiling is relative to other teams in the Western Conference. Anything else that we want to say about this game, Mark, or shall we get, a, shall we get on to the, uh, to the rainbow side of the thunderstorm that was last week? The rainbow side was our one nothing victory over Seattle on Sunday. Uh, Matt, you're going to give us more details about the specifics of that because Matt does the prep for this show, and we appreciate him for that because I don't even know how he does it, to be honest. Like, I can't remember this stuff. Um, Matt rewatches a lot of the highlights and takes diligent notes and paints us a beautiful picture, but also sometimes draws from the wonderful work he does on Last Word on sports, backslash last sports on soccer, um, which you should read because he's really good at it. Um, so, Matt, why don't you fill us in on how exactly the Colorado Rapids beat Seattle with a second half goal, one to nothing in the dick. I'll start off with the formation mark. Uh, Jossie Zardes had to be subbed out in the second half for a hamstring injury uh, in the game against Sporting Kansas City. He was listed as questionable going into the game. We've seen Robin Frazier, particularly in the first half of the season, be very prudent when it comes to injuries. So I wasn't super surprised that he wasn't in the lineup. The back three for the Rapids ended up being Keegan Rosenberry, Danny Wilson, and uh, Lalas Abubakar with Austin Trusty unavailable. And then Anthony Markanich, uh, with the absence of Lucas Estevez, made his MLS debut as a starter. His only other first-team appearance would have been in the Open Cup loss at the Loons. Michael Barrios and Diego Rubio up top, Mark, though it looked a little empty bucket at times, at least in the first part of the game. And then the big thing for the Seattle Sounders from a rotation standpoint uh, was uh, Joseph Reagan stepped in at the center back role. Uh, he's played just under 500 minutes in MLS prior to this game. And then Nicholas Ladero was unavailable, so they had to shuffle the midfield a little bit. Christian Roldan went out to a wide role. Rusnak and Omar Vargas were kind of in the double pivot from there. Uh, Nicolo Deros, um, uh was uh, in Seattle um, celebrating the birth of his son. So he was unavailable. And for me, Mark, that certainly that <clears throat> reignited hope and optimism that I had for this game in ways that maybe uh, hot take tweet from me on Wednesday night um, was in uh, disagreement uh, with regarding uh, just the simple fact that I think take out Ladero, take out Trusty, and I think that's a slight advantage for the Colorado Rapids in terms of them defending the Sounders. In any case, uh, first couple good opportunities come from that MLS debutant, uh, Anthony Markanich, Mark 29th minute, and then the 41st minute, him setting up Barrios and then uh, Diego Rubio, who both had really good opportunities. Rubio has a free kick chance almost from the exact same spot he had scored a couple weeks ago. He wasn't able to convert. Uh, and then the only goal that we had in the game came in the 50th minute uh, ball uh, going into midfield. Rubio goes up in the air for it. Apparently, that was a foul to some Sounders fans. Uh, and then uh, that leaves space for Diego or for Michael Barrios to run in onto it. Uh, Diego Rubio then runs to catch up. Barrios finds Rubio. Rubio shoots. Fry makes the save. It goes off the chest of Yamar Gomez Andrade. And then Jonathan Lewis, who's in the right spot to tip it over. He technically got the goal. Mark, there's some discussion about it would have been a goal anyways without Lewis touching it. Should it have actually been an own goal. Fundamentally, the single player who had the most significant positive contribution in that moment was Rubio for preventing a loss on the 50-50 header in midfield for Barrios to run in on it and then get the ball into the box. Uh, Morris has a couple really good opportunities on through balls uh, in the first half. Mark, he tries, he gets in behind with Danny Wilson caught wrong-footed, tries to chip you William Yarbrough in the 54th minute, lost to Bubakar, clears it before it even gets to the line. Um, you had a really good snave on Rui Diaz in the 89th. There was a shout for a PK opportunity on a chance. Um, I don't have what minute that was offhand, Mark. That ended up going to VAR, Jeremiah Oshan over from Sounders at Heart, the SP Nation blog submitted a uh, pool reporter question about that. And basically the response came down to uh, that there wasn't a definitive enough angle to say that Betisher's contact on Rui Diaz with the ball just barely gone on his leg. Uh, was enough for them to say that it was in the box and then ultimately a foul. And 
VAR can't be used to review that and give a free kick. It's basically penalty or no penalty and then an adjoining card that would be associated with that. Mark, I think the Rapids were a little bit lucky with that, but between that and then maybe the uh, favorable PK call that they got for Jonathan Lewis being fouled against the LAFC game, maybe now we're at a, a net zero in terms of the wrong that was committed uh, for the no PK call on Nathan in the San Jose game. In any case, Mark, let's start out with good things for you. Anthony Markanik, uh, first start. Um, he was, according to Foot Mob, the most valuable player statistically for the Colorado Rapids with an 8.0 out of 10. Uh, he played all 90 minutes of the match. Two shots, which produced 0.12 expected goals, which is pretty good. Um, 0.13 expected assists. He had uh, 71% accurate passing rate uh 25 out of 35 passes which is uh about average for a guy in a fairly advanced um effective position but in other uh important stats he was four for four on winning tackles he had a block a clearance uh four recoveries um and won five out of ten ground duels that's average number of course but it's a lot of duels to get into um so he was aggressive and i think um uh, Richard Fleming had a really nice line on it when he said he, I think it was Fleming or maybe I was listening to the away broadcast, but I think I was listening to Fleming, um, where he said something to the effect of like, he, you wouldn't know that this was his first start in major league soccer. He just looked really comfortable and at ease. He did not look like he was confused about what to do. He went into all the tackles. He felt it. He seemed aggressive I thought he added something, a dimension to this Rapids team that I had not really um, seen so much of before. I think it's amazing that we could go to Brazil and spend a bunch of money on a guy and put him down as a young money um, player and yet yank some guy out of some middle in college that most of us barely give any um, attention to, except for the fact that they have a, a cool Husky as their um, mascot uh, when it comes time for the NCAA March Madness tournament, um, draft him in the first round, throw him on the field, and it turns out that he's absolutely, you know, cash money, you know, dollar dollar bills, y'all worth it on the field. I mean, he was just he was wonderful, and I really, really thought that that was um, a huge highlight for me in this match. Um, on the other side of the the field, I'll say. You know, just really quickly, not to because we don't want to spend too much time praising the Sounders because um, we don't want their fans to get ahead any bigger than the fact that they think they invented soccer. But Obed Vargas, who's a 16 year old for um, for Seattle, just he just fly, flies with the ball and he looks so, so talented and dangerous. Um, 16 years old, really wonderful. And when you've got guys like Jordan Morris and Rui Diaz, and Christian Roldan, and Albert Rusnak, and Nuhu Tolo on the field. And the guy that you notice is some 16-year-old. That's really impressive. Last thing I wanted to say, at least to coin a name, is Markanik is uh, 22 years old, but he looks like he's 17, right? So I'm going to call him the babyface assassin because that's just, you know, the right the right name at the right time. Yeah, I thought Markanich really grew into the game, Mark. You know, let's... Um... First MLS start, second time that you're getting first team minutes, and who you matched up against, Kellen Rowe, that is no small feat with what he was able to do. I'd say both defensively and then offensively going up against Yamar um, on the back three for the Sounders on Seattle's right, Colorado's left side of the field. I thought maybe positionally he was a little bit off for having to react to what Rowe and then Christian Roldan were doing a little bit, but I thought that quickly got better. I'll say after 25, maybe 30 minutes into the game. And then he got forward and he was aggressive and he was physical and he won balls and he set up the, the first two really good chances from the run of play for me. And he's doing this technically from an out of, uh, you know, while being played out of position because he's primarily a center back. So if this is the, if you're telling me right now that the Rapids aren't able to come to terms with Lucas Estevez because his loan is expiring and there's an option to buy in the summer. If you're telling me that it's another 500, 750 minutes for Anthony Marcanich potentially in that position, I'm not super nervous about that. And I'm not sure that he was the draft pick that I was most excited about coming out, Mark, which I think just again shows that somebody 
over there at, you know, on the third floor at DSG, did their homework on this guy, scouted this guy, and he's fit in with the team from a Rapids player and identity standpoint. I think he's growing in confidence, and he's had, he's just been a sponge, um, you know, up until the last couple weeks uh, with this team, and that set him up to be really successful. I thought it was really good, Mark, for Lewis to break the duck, his second goal of the season, first since that game against Atlanta where he was set up by Diego Rubio. Yes, folks, it would have gone in even without Johnny's touch. Uh, Yes, Diego Rubio did more on that goal. But just the simple fact that Lewis touched the ball and then saw it go into the net, albeit from a foot out where he possibly, first of all, he was in front of, he was closer... Stefan Fry was not between him, the ball, and the goal, so it was impossible for him to shoot it directly at the goalkeeper. But just the simple fact for him to touch the ball, see it go in the back of the net, and then uh, get credited with the goal, I think is going to help him from a confidence standpoint. Um, If nothing else, it kind of relieves the pressure that might have been on him from that. Robin Frazier, like with many other players, sees a lot of value in Lewis as an attacking player, even outside of his goals. I think he's done a better job from a defensive pressing standpoint. He's done a better job in terms of creating turnovers and then getting out in transition. He's gotten into good areas. He just hasn't really converted those. And I think it's fair to say that he should be criticized on getting in those good opportunities and then not taking advantage of those. He has two goals. They were largely set up by Diego Rubio more than him doing anything of his own accord. He does not yet have an assist for this team. I think that's something that he can improve on. That's something that he was better on last year. I do think, as I said, he's a better defensive striker um, in terms of how he's done from a pressing standpoint. But overall, his numbers outside of those two goals are certainly the underlying analytics have been pedestrian and he needs to play better. Hopefully, this is the catalyst that creates this. Uh, Mark, I want to talk about Lawson Bubakar, who was most at fault or could have was in the best position to prevent the two shallowy goals on the week. And he shuts down Jordan Morris, which is no small feat. He clears the ball off the line that was probably Seattle's best opportunity. And he was cranky and he was feisty and he was a chaos merchant and he was a meat truck. And it absolutely worked and it was fantastic. Uh, Mark, any bad things from this game? It was it was a cagey first half. And I don't know whether that was entirely um, like the... I felt like Colorado was poised to do a little bit more, but maybe kind of was interested in recycling a little bit. I think another thing is both of these matches had the Rapids putting up really similar numbers. And if you look across the season, there's a sameness to the to the overall numbers and the approach that the Rapids have. I think if you took all... And I should probably do this and write it up uh, at some point. But if you look at most of our matches... We roughly have, and I keep noticing this, 15 shots on goal, 5 on target, 1 goal, or 0 goals, right? What is that, Matt? Like, what? what is, how is it that we have fewer than half of the shots on target? How is it that we seem to be kind of a low-scoring team this year? And I know that this quick answer to that is we aren't clinical in the final third. We don't take our chances. The finishing isn't that great, which is the whole answer for why Jossie Zardes is here. Um, but like it, it still, it still belies a, a little bit of incredulity on my part, which is the way we produce goals and the way we produce shots is kind of consistent, but not um, uh, overwhelming or uh, all that like impressive. Um, you know, and, and we were on a podcast last night, uh, a guest podcast, uh, with some Texas guys from Austin. Um, and they were, um, they were kind of asking us about the, the Rapids, you know, and, and what, what we expected from them. And, and I think ultimately Matt and I both, we were like, yeah, fifth, fourth, seventh, somewhere in there, but it's not like overpoweringly impressive. And I think that a lot of that comes from, a kind of sameness to the approach and um, an underwhelmingness to the finishing. And I think yesterday was another example. Yesterday, Saturday was just another example of that. Matt, bad thing? Uh, Mark Anthony K's eye uh, took a pretty tough beating in that one, Mark. He was subbed out, what, I think that was on the 40th minute. Let me look it up before somebody on Twitter or is yelling or comments on it. 
Yes, he was subbed out in the 40th minute for Jonathan Lewis, who scored that goal. Um, he and Reagan had a couple dust-ups prior to that, battling for the ball, some 50-50s. There's a point where I had a pretty good view of it, Mark, because it was right close to um, where I sit is roughly if you draw a straight line perpendicular to the touch line um, from my view up on the third floor in the press box, folk, I'm pretty much in line with the um, north end of the away bench, and that was roughly where Kay was operating, and then Reagan as the left center back in a back three for Seattle. And so they, you know, have a few moments where they're battling for the ball. It's physical. Kay wins one. Reagan wins a couple, maybe. Um, and then there's a point where one of those, Kay appears to get poked in the eye. Uh, it takes a little bit of a moment to get up, and there's a point where basically he takes an elbow to the face. Um, as I reported, Marka, it was a right eye injury. It started to swell up a little bit. Kay was feeling a little bit of dizziness. He was having trouble blinking. There, he was having trouble seeing. That happens when you take an elbow to the eye where he would have been fine, you know, in he would have been better in an hour. He would have been better the following day. He would be much better by this time now at time of recording Thursday evening. But obviously, you're not going to wait 10 minutes to see if he can be okay and then play down a man in that case. You have to make a substitution. No concern at the time about whether or not it was a concussion injury. But then Robin Frazier was similarly, I think, um, subtweeting words about the officiating and player protection. Quote, uh, it looks horrible. It looks like he went 10 rounds in a boxing match. I think he is going to be okay. It's unfortunate we had to lose a player early with no real consequences. And that's coming off Mark where Robin said on Wednesday night after the Kansas City game that uh, he was glad that no players got hurt in the latter half of the game when things uh, boiled over due to a lack of control from an officiating standpoint. I don't know about you, Rabbi, but I felt like the, the league, maybe two to three years ago, certainly 2019, was really cracking down on contact to the face or head, calling that fouls. If there's any kind of real harsh contact, then it's a yellow card. And if it's anything that's really with intent um, or, you know, really physical violent conduct, then it's an immediate red card. We've seen that that happened to Diego Rubio a couple years ago, and it feels like they've gone off on that. I'm willing to accept that maybe one of those two was certainly incidental contact, but, you know, where Kay comes off and sits on the bench at halftime and the camera angle pins to him and it looks like he's taken a punch to the face. I, I And neither of those were really called. And the only way that the only reason that play was stopped because he was down, it was for an injury at that point. I, one of those could have been a foul. And given, you know, how many little ticky tack things we saw were yellow cards um, midweek. Um, you know, I thought that I thought at some point that was worthy of maybe a second look as to whether or not that could have been a yellow card. And I think Robin Frazier is right to say that. This year, MLS refs have kind of lost the plot a little bit. That has led to yellow card fest. That has led to both teams, Rapids games are otherwise getting frustrated. And eventually, somebody lashes out and somebody is going to get hurt. And I know after what I just said and what Robin said, what we said maybe 10, 15 minutes ago about Lucas Estevez's response to, you know, Shallowby going Cobra Kai on Skeeter is, you know, at some point the ref has to take responsibility for making it so that players aren't in that position to think about that. And so I think Robin's subtle jabs at pro and the officials for not protecting players are warranted. And um, I think the, I think the refs so far this season have been poor relative last year in terms of player safety. Um, not going to disagree with you. I definitely agree i think that i've seen um maybe it's a small sample size because you and i pretty much watch like one mls match or two mls matches of teams we really want to see in the run-up to the rapids match and then we watch the rapids match it does seem like the rapids have been inordinately unfortunate with getting schwacked in the head in plays that ultimately resulted in no foul or a foul but not a yellow card so that's a good thing to pay attention to as the year goes on um I don't watch uh, Andrew Wiebe's baby um, uh, instant replay because there's just too much going on in my life to watch a show just about referee calls. Also, in the dark darkness of, of the universe that we sometimes deal with, I don't like to get my blood angried up by things that are not political or social or moral in nature, like referee calls. Um, I just generally give the refs... Uh, 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 the benefit of the doubt and occasionally get irritated when they blow their calls. Um, I'm the probably um, if you're, if you came for a podcast looking for a guy who's going to criticize the officiating, 
always know that I'm not the guy. There are other podcasts out there, even other Rapids podcasts, where they're going to complain bitterly about the officiating. I am not that. I actually have favorite referees, Matt, but mostly that's about either their haircuts or the way they signal with their hands. But we didn't get either of those referees in this game, so I'm not going to say any. Actually, who was the ref in Seattle? I was trying to remember, and I I couldn't remember it offhand. It's a relatively new guy, uh, Timothy Ford. Oh, that's why I didn't recognize no him. No relation I, to Court Ford, just so we're clear. Because I didn't recognize him. I didn't recognize him because I didn't recognize him. Henry Ford? Relation to Henry Ford? Did he invent the automobile? Yeah, I don't know. Automobile? I don't I don't have a favorite ref, Mark. I, I guess I have... I have you don't? I, I have refs that I respect, and then I have refs that I dislike the least. Um, You'll appreciate this, Mark. I was trying to explain... Uh, I was trying to explain to an MLS friend who doesn't watch much Premier League, who was watching premier league over the weekend and i mentioned that oh if you want uh if you want to check out um you know put on the chelsea watford game mike dean is refing his last game and the best thing that i came up with mark i think mike dean is the baldomero toledo of the premier league agree disagree i don't know the refs in in the epl well enough to say anything but i i assume that mike dean is irritating and stodgy uh, respectable from time to time, but generally will throw a game completely if you let him, or will call a game completely different one week than he did the last week. That's my take on Baldomero Toledo. Oh, I thought you were saying that about Mike Dean. So yes, I would agree with that. Oh, nice. Well done. <laughs> well done. Well, I couldn't describe Mike Dean, but I could just describe Baldomero Toledo. No, my favorite, as as we all know, if you don't already know it, I'm ranking my top three so far, but this is based on last year's performances. I haven't. I don't have enough data to. My number one is Ismail Elfath, who apparently just last week was named as the U.S. representative to, or the CONCACAF representative, maybe it's the U.S., to be refing in Qatar. Um, so, way to go, Ismail. Uh, number two for me is Armando Villarreal, mostly because he's just adorable. I just think he's a good-looking guy. Uh, I have a man crush on Armando Villarreal, and I'm okay saying that proud enough in my masculinity, my heterosexuality, to admire a handsome fellow male. Um, Matt's, Matt's looking quite dapper today, too. He's been hitting the gym. And the third one is Soren Stoika, although I probably like Soren Stoika more because I was at a pit game, a pit women's game versus, I think, God, who are they playing? Like um, Northern Texas or something like that. And I look down from the, from the stands and I look over at another soccer fan of mine, friend of mine, and I go, is that Soren Stoika on the field? What is he doing refereeing women's NCAA? And the answer was, that's what these guys do. They're just referee animals. They go crazy. They ref everything that they possibly can. You might see Ismail Elfoff at a U4 game this weekend, folks, because they just can't get enough refereeing. That's not actually true, but it sounds funny. Last thing I'll say on the win over Seattle is doubt this team at your own peril. Um, as we you've commented earlier, Mark, on I think the difference in form and performance and um, results. Right. By the way, I I called this game. I I think last week when we talked about our predictions, I'm pretty sure I said Seattle was going to win this game and the Rapids were going to lose midweek to SKC. You can go back and check me on this, but like, but the only reason I say that, Matt, is because. I took what is the logical result for the Colorado Rapids and I inverted it, right? I was like, that's not what's going to happen. Speaking of inverted, I rewatched Top Gun this week. And boy, I don't think that movie holds up uh, from when I was a 10-year-old boy. Anyways, keep going, Matt. Uh, Doubt this team at your own peril. They're very good on the home. They're working on trying to diagnose what's going wrong in the road games from mentality or an approach standpoint. Stephen Badish had some good comments on that. Check out my Twitter for quotes if you want on that, folks. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, I think this team is at their best when they're against the wall and feel like things are against them, particularly outside of their control from a what people think about them and respect from pundits, fans, other players, and then particularly when the officiating goes against them, they tend to respond in kind. And so when they look most likely like they are vulnerable is when they are uh, is when they come up with the biggest gut check performance that is absolutely needed. Speaking of that, listeners, this coming Saturday, 7 p.m. at Dick's Sporting Goods Park, we will be having the Gary Smith Derby taking on Nashville SC. 
The Colorado Rapids are currently 13-34 through their 2022 MLS season. They are 8th in the Western Conference, 18 points on 13 games played, a record of 5-5-3, a goal difference of plus 1, and at the Dick this season, they are 5-0-2. Nashville, 6th in the Western Conference, having just recently opened up Geodis Park, 19 points off of 13 games played, 5-4-4, a neutral goal difference, and then away from Geodis Park, including that long, I think it was 7 games in a row they played on the road to start the season. Three, four, and two. Mark, the Nashville SC played a midweek game in <clears throat> Open Cup. They defeated Louisville City in Louisville uh, by a score of 2-1. to one. For the most part, it was a rotated squad. Uh, Dax McCarty, Ginger Ninja, great number six, uh, started in that game. So did Animal Godoy. And then the only two real starters, I would argue, Mark would have been Daniel Lovitz and Alex Mule. And then we've seen a little bit of rotation at the center back position. So maybe you could include Dave Romney. So holding midfielders who run a lot, but who are very fit. And then defenders um, who are also very fit. Kind of the main ones to look at for being leggy this week, um, coming off midweek and the Rapids having a full week off. Uh, Mark, the Rapids have, or excuse me, Nashville SC has Hani Mukhtar, who is one of the best number 10s in the league and was a competitor for MLS MVP last season. Uh, As I already mentioned, they have Dax McCarty, Anibal Godoy, Sean Davis. Uh, Do not find yourself in a uh, dark alley with any one of those three from a D-mid standpoint. Alex Mule and Daniel Lovitz are their main outside players. Um, And then Walker Zimmerman, of course, their captain, their big player, national team star, one of the best center backs, if not the best center back in the league. And Joe Willis, who I'd argue is the MLS 3.0 version of Matt Pickens. And then obviously, Mark, there's some distinct uh, former Rapids connections that we have here. Eric Miller, who's been a backup outside back for them. Of course, Gary Smith, who prior to Nashville SC uh, was the head coach for the Colorado Rapids, was the coach for them in the 2010 season where they won MLS Cup. And then also on staff throughout Nashville SC, you have Matt Pickens, who's the goalkeeper coach. Um, I believe uh, Jamie Smith is also on the staff. And then Kosuke Kimura is doing stuff with the academy as well. This is going to be a homecoming of sorts, Mark. This is going to be an interesting emotion game uh, but obviously Gary Smith is there to come out uh, in a 3-1-4-2 be a defensive team have CJ Zapong score a goal out of nowhere because that is what CJ Zapong does Gary Smith isn't here for emotions he's here to get a result and then maybe show <laughs> something about uh, you know hey I proved you wrong from when and how and why I departed this club um, wow I mean you said it really well I really like this team they're really um they're really enjoyable to watch more so than they were last season and the season before. In their first couple of seasons, Gary Smith was really doing like his, you know, Rapids 2010, 2011 uh, version 2.0, which which was grind it out, muck it up, make it hard, um, you know, be miserable, and then turn it over to Hani Mukhtar to try and do some amazing things by himself with a few other supporting characters and that was not working um and it it seemed like i think in his first season mukhtar was frustrated by how unsupported what he was they're five four and four right now um and they have a really they've been pretty solid um they just beat louisville to get through to the next round of the open cup so the upside is the rapids are fully rested whereas nashville is um coming off a midweek match that um you know, they had to put in a little bit of extra effort um, on this one. And that was, for them, that was a, a, a good match um, where they they had a, a lot of, uh, you know, they had to use a lot of their best players, their regular starters. So I think that's a bit of a challenge for them to deal with. But overwhelmingly, you know, I think you said it really well. Um, CJ Sapong is deadly. Hani Mukhtar is deadly. Walker Zimmerman is one of the best defenders in the league. Um, they've got some really talented, uh, additional players back there, like Dax McCarty, Anibal Godoy, um, and Eric Miller, who don't sleep on him. He's, he was, I think Eric Miller and Keegan Rosenberry are like, you know, 2% off from each other. And Rosenberry is one of the better right backs in the league, um, in terms of just being a pure defender. So, um, it's a great team. Um, they're going to be a tough out, a really, really tough out for, for this Colorado Rapids team. Yeah, and, um, you know, they've proven to be really clinical, Mark. You know, CJ Sapong is like the, you know, he's like the better version of Dominic Baji in terms of, like, old man, speed, 
good energy and everything. I'm, I'm struggling to come up with like a good comparison for um, who he is. He's been a great addition to this team. Sapong's front of, I would just say this, which is Sapong's front of goal movement off ball is better than Baji's. Absolutely. That's, that's my take. That's like my take on CJ Sapong, which is just, he's got that Muller hello aspect to him for a big guy, which I think the thing that made Muller really good was that he had kind of a slinky body and he would like show up in places in funny places. Sapong can head a ball through. He can pop up at the front or the back post or right in the middle, right when you need him. Um, the one thing you're not going to get out of CJ Sapong is him pick up the ball at midfield, back to goal, turn, dribble four guys, and score a goal. Like, that's just not, that's not his game. Whereas Jossie Zardes can do that on occasion, although whether he's going to this year for the Rapids is a good question. And whether he's healthy this coming week is a good question, which is, you know, I mean, we've, we've really started to sustain a lot of injuries as a team, and we're starting to get into the place where, that's the thing we need to really start thinking about in, in our previews, which is like not how do the Rapids match up against this team, but do we have all of the right pieces or are we going to be reaching down deep into the bench and, and where are they going to come from? Again, on the podcast the other day, Matt, we were um, asked about kind of like the, the rap kids and like where where the status of the team is. And like, you know, we were asked about um, Philip Mayaka and I think you and I are both kind of sitting back and watching Rapidos, the Cobras, Rapids 2, flounder and struggle. And it pretty much tells us that like Yaya Torre and Darren Yappi and Michael Edwards and Philip Mayaka are not a solution off in the distance for this team. So the more injuries we have, the more I start to worry as the season goes on. Yeah, but so uh, all good points there, all good questions there, Rabbi. But so, you know, I think, you know, CJ Sabong is going to be tough to deal with with his movement as the the big African Roy Deuter, if we can call him that. Uh, and Hani Mukhtar, excellent number 10. Uh, and this is a team that's going to come in. Um, it could be a 3-1-4-2. It could be a 4-2-3-1. And they're going to be comfortable not having the ball and trying to strike in transition. So in a lot of ways, this game is similar to we've, what we've seen from the Rapids playing good teams home or away is that they set them up to where the Rapids have to beat them with intent. And so, so many of these games against good opposition uh, comes down to what the Rapids do with the ball. Are they careful with it? Do they execute well? Are they, uh, or do they make mistakes? And are those mistakes punished uh, with Walker Zimmerman and, um, and uh, Joe Willis? Uh, they're going to be very good defensively. I still have not seen uh, the best of what I think the Rapids are capable of this year from a set-piece standpoint, and they're going to be very dangerous on set-pieces with Walker Zimmerman as well. So this is going to be a very tough test. This is a resolute defensive team that does not give up a lot a lot of opportunities. And so, Mark, your comment earlier about are the Rapids going to have 15 shot attempts and then maybe four on goal, and then three of them are going to be very routine for Joe Willis, and then maybe one of them is a really good opportunity. And does Joe Willis make a great save to deny Diego Rubio, or are the Rapids able to get a goal? And and what do the Rapids look like in terms of defensively trying to deal with the number of unique and different and versatile attacking players uh, Nashville has? Whether it's uh, Lovitz overlapping on the wing, Randall Leal and Alex Mule, who've been excellent and very tricky wingers. Uh, Mule kind of, I would say, the American version of Sam Nicholson while we're making uh, comparisons here at Mark. And then obviously dealing with Hani Mukhtar and CJ Sapong up top is going to be a difficult challenge. We've seen the Rapids do very, very well against Raul Ruiz and Jordan Morris will see whether or not they can do it again. Mark, I have a 1-1 draw in this match. Maybe this has already been said, but I'm just looking at the table and trying to just clarify this for myself. But the Colorado Rapids are undefeated at home. The Colorado Rapids are winless on the road. So I think the question that when we do predictions going forward is, which of those is going to break first? And I'm going to be the pessimist here, Matt. I'm going to say we lose to Nashville two to nothing. This is the week where our home uh, uh, undefeated streak is finally broken. Okay, then. Um, anything else we want to say about this, Rabbi, or shall we get out of here? Oh, Rabbi, um, big other matches this weekend. Who wins Champions League and who's getting who wins the most expensive game in football? Uh, let's see. The finalists in this match are Liverpool and 
Liverpool, Liverpool, Real Madrid, and then uh, and then the promotion playoff final at Wembley, which is on Sunday, is uh, Richie Laria's Nottingham Forest versus Dwayne Holmes's Huddersfield Town. Oh my God! Well, I have no idea about that. <coughs> so I'll, I'll say Nottingham Forest because I like that Disney movie. Um, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Yes, I know what you're talking about, Mark. the the Rob the the Robin Hood uh uh Disney movie is one of the most delightful ones of all time. Um, gosh, uh, I watched a little bit of Liverpool on Decision Day and. They looked so fantastic, um, but then they got really, really tired. I wonder whether they haven't had to work extra, extra hard this season, whereas Real Madrid has had to just be, you know, kind of coasting. But I also think that, like, Real Madrid hasn't had as many difficult opponents this season. So I'll go Liverpool. Don't bet against Real Madrid, Mark. Uh, I you know we've we've seen this story before. I think Real Madrid wins it, um, and then I think uh, I think it's got to be Nottingham Forest on Sunday. All right, Rabbi, let's get out of here, folks. Our sponsors are Acres FC and Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves, makers of fine neckwear that you can use when it is chilly at night, or also just to show off the colors of your local pub, your local team, your local pub team. Your U4s, your U6s, your daughter's lacrosse team, whatever it is, you can make custom-made Roughneck scarves at their website, roughneck.com. Icarus FC also makes cuffed-in kits. They do uh, wonderful colors, shapes, sizes, all kinds of cool things with collars. Um, They outfit professional teams. They outfit uh, your grandmother's roller derby team. They outfit everything that you could ever want. Check them out, too. Matt, tell them how to hit us on the socials how to write to us, and how to read our amazing written content. At Soccer underscore Rabbi, at LWS Matt Pollard, at Rapids 96 Podcast, last word on sports.com backslash soccer, Pittsburgh soccer now, holding the high line dot substack dot com. Send us your questions using the hashtag AskHTHL. Email us, rapids96podcast at gmail.com. If we bring further monetary value to your life, you can become a paid highliner, five bucks a month or 42 bucks for the year at our substack. Give us a single cash drop at our Patreon, patreon.com backslash rapids96podcast, or head on over to denverpost.com backslash hdhl for a really good deal on all of their digital sports content, as I'm sure everybody over at the Denver Post is actively freaking out about a game six uh, and whether or not the abs are going to blow it in the second round of the Stanley Cup Finals. Again, listeners, we'll see you next week. Peace.